Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your uh, Bibles with you today, turn with me to Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. We want to thank you guys for praying. Uh, your prayers are felt, very coveted, and uh, we love you guys. Our prayers are for you as well, uh, you and your home, your families, the extensions of your families, those you interact with. Uh, prayers are always with you, so uh, thank you guys for praying. Um, it's kind of interesting the the duration of time we've been through the Old Testament thus far. You know, going through, uh, you know, starting in Genesis. You know, it's been been a, a lot of uh, ground we've covered. If you you look at the pages, it's like you know the eighth of an inch, maybe eighth of an inch. Uh, my Bible, it is. But man, how deep it is! You know how deep uh, the deep things that we've learned thus far. You know, and always keep in mind we're we're getting into some heavy, heavy aspects of the law. You know, so far we've looked at, you know, the Ten Commandments, which were given three times. Don't forget, there was the uh, the first time, which was spoken. Uh, the second time, which was the two tablets, the Ten Commandments. Those are the tablets that Moses destroyed uh, at the Golden Calf. And then there's the second set of Ten Commandments. And that's, or the, yeah, that's the second set of Ten Commandments, but it's the third set of the Ten Commandments. So the first one was the spoken one. And that was in Exodus uh, or in, in uh, Exodus chapter 20, where the people of God were like, wow, you know, Moses, you know, we want to we want to speak to the Lord like you. And then so Moses was like, OK, you know, the, the Lord permitted it. And so finally the Lord blasted, you know, and then it says in in Exodus 20, verse 18 says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. You know, and it says come to test you. It's to put to the test and to prove, you know, are, are, are these a people that, you know, are going to, uh, you know, wander are going to. Uh, be wicked before the Lord. And it's so cool because it's like, wow, you know, it's, they do have a carnal nature, but then at the same time, the Lord makes atonement through blood. And it reminds me a lot about the man in the mirror. It reminds me a lot about myself. And I'm going to venture to say, if you're honest with yourself, it probably reminds you of yourself as well. You know, they're trying to be mean, but it's so cool because, you know, we go through day-to-day -day life, you know, another day passes, another month passes, another year passes, another decade. And then at the same time, you start to realize, wow, you know, I'm less carnal than I was, you know, last year. I'm less carnal today than I was five years ago. I'm less carnal today than I was 10 years ago. You know, if you do the day-to-day -day stuff, it's kind of like you can get down in the, the doldrums, you know, the pits. And it's kind of a bummer because you're like, man, you know, this is uh, this stinks because I always got this issue I'm dealing with, this and that. I'm always going back to the crack pipe. I'm always going back to the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. And that's where a lot of times Christians, they get in a very difficult situation. They put themselves in a difficult situation. Because don't forget, the Lord always makes a way of escape. It's the, it's the question is, you know, am I honoring the Lord today? That's a question that every single person has to ask of self every day. 
You wake up in the morning, Lord, you know, help me get through this day. It's just 24 hours. You know, if you want to get your eight hours of sleep, the recommended eight hours of sleep, you know, if I made the rules, I'll say recommended four hours of sleep, you know, but, you know, recommended eight hours of sleep. And then, you know, it's like, you know, you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, help me get through this day. You know, I got this guy at work, got this lady at work, they're dorks. And I just, I want to love them, but it's difficult. But man, Lord, I want to show your grace. I want to be your representative. And it's so cool because you start to pray and, you know, one day at a time. You start to realize, you know, maybe a year later, maybe two years later, you're like, man, I was the dork. You know, like I thought this person was a dork, but I didn't know that, you know, she was getting beat on at home. I didn't know that he was a crackhead, you know, and then all of a sudden you start to realize like, man, I've been the dork the whole time. It's so cool how the Lord teaches us these things in the course of time. And then you fall to your knees and you're like, Lord, you know, forgive me. I was kind of dorky myself. Help me, Lord. Help me have your compassion, your sympathy, and your empathy. Help me have these things in my life. And then at the same time, you know, you look back a year. You're like, wow, you know, I don't think the way I used to. You know why? Because you have a new mind. Remember, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the Holy Spirit is building brick by brick by brick by brick. And we're going to look at these things in the law. And I always, I, I'll give warning, warning. Don't ever go back to the law. Because as we're going through the law, we're going to see beautiful, beautiful things. And I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. But what I am doing is showing these things as beautiful. But remember, they point to Christ who is more beautiful. And when I say beauty in the law, I mean beauty in terms of atonement. Beauty in terms of God's relationship with His people. Not saying that righteousness can come through the law. Remember, righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way, period. Only through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get into some heavy aspects in the law. Straight up hardcore stuff. And we're also going to look at how it points to Jesus Christ. And so it could be perhaps as we're in these legal books. That I will give these warnings before every sermon. And just say, hey, I give a warning to you that, you know, righteousness comes through Jesus Christ, not through the law. Because you know what's going to happen? In your zeal for the Lord, Satan can capitalize on these things. And I don't want him to have a foothold on anybody who hears this message. I do not want Satan to have a foothold. Because you know what he says? He'll whisper in your ear. He says, you see, you want to be righteous? You have to do these things too. And then it opens up a whole new can of worms where people leave the cross of Jesus Christ. They put their cross down, the cross that they're supposed to be carrying. And then they go back to the law. Not a good situation to be in. It's a trap. It's a straight up trap. And so that's a trap for unsuspecting people. But we're not unsuspecting. We're wide awake, fully equipped and ready for a fight. You know, Satan has his snipers. It's like, okay, you know, we expect fire from over here. It's like, okay, we got it covered. We got that field of fire covered. So remember, righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ. So, the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. In Hebrew, it translates as, and he called. 
and he called and the Lord called. In the Talmud, it translates as it's referred to as the law of the priests. In the Septuagint, it, 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 it's uh, uh, pertaining to the Levites. That's why we get the, 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 the book of Leviticus. But in the Hebrew, it's and he called. It's so cool because, you know, you start to see like or when we start read through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. There's references to Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. And, you know, here we see the very beginning of it in the book of Leviticus. Because remember the, um, the, the, the priestly garments were made in, in the latter chapters of the book of Exodus. Exodus, and now what happens? They put them on and they start to wear these things. What's so cool about the book of Leviticus is there's very, very little mention of the high priest. Very, very little mention of the high priest. And I think it's so beautiful as new covenant believers because it shows a picture of, you know, remember the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at these things that are aspects for the Christian, but then at the same time, you know, we're also going to see what happens when these things are transferred to the high priest. I love that there's very limited mention of the high priest in the book of Leviticus. Because from my perspective, it kind of begs the question, where is the high priest? There's that little gap in Leviticus. Like, where is he? It leaves something, it leaves some room for wanting. Like, I desire this high priest. But then at the same time, it's like, wait a second, the high priest, it's, it's not going to be found in the law. There's a temporal one found in the law. There's a... We study our book in Leviticus or in Hebrews. And remember, the, the law was created with loopholes. Even the priests, the, all the garments, the food, the, 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 the celebration, the, 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 the feast, the festivals, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. Never, ever, ever forget that. Never forget that. They are mere shadows of the things to come. And, you know, you, when you look at Leviticus and also Deuteronomy, Leviticus, you kind of have to see this from a pulpit perspective. Okay, pulpit perspective and Deuteronomy as a pew perspective. You say, like, I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, it's kind of similar to Titus and Philippians. You know, the book of Titus is it's for all Christians to read and you can glean a lot and learn a lot. But it's very specific and very hardcore towards pastors, pastors and elders, things to apply for the pastor and the elder in ministering to God's people. It's not to say that it's not for Christians. It's for every Christian. But then at the same time, even like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the book, the, the Timothy books and Titus, these are specifically written to pastors, church leadership. And from a pastoral perspective, you know, how to deal with God's people. You know, also how to deal with self. Don't mess around. Because remember, church leaders, elders, pastors in a more hardcore sense are held to a higher standard held to a higher account to me it freaks me out but it's like wow you know i want to be sure that i'm in the word i want to be sure that i'm in the word and i want to be sure that i'm speaking the word not my word the word of god
And so when I say Leviticus is kind of like a pulpit perspective, think of it like Titus and the Timothys, where it's for everybody, but then it has special meaning for the priesthood in accordance with the law, special meaning for the priesthood. And then with Deuteronomy, it's for everybody, even the priest, the leadership, but then it, 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 it's kind of from a perspective of the pew perspective, things to apply in all of our lives, uh, if we were under the law. Not, not that I'm saying we're under the law, because when we're in these legal books, you know, we're going to make mention of all these things and say, hey, look, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's so cool because it's, when we go through the, these legal books, it's my prayer is that Jesus Christ will become like a more, like a no-duh kind of thing. Like, and I don't mean any disrespect in saying that, but like a, like, how could I have doubted kind of thing? Like, that we will understand these things. Because remember, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, because they followed the letter of the law, they were blind to Jesus Christ. Instead of falling to their knees and saying, whoa, the Messiah is here. They said, no, crucify this guy. Let's kill him. Because they followed the letter of the law. They were blind and deaf to the spirit of the law. And that's what we're going to glean from in these legal books. And we're going to kick this off in Leviticus. It's so cool what the Lord is doing here. And so when I say, you know, uh, pastoral perspective or a leadership perspective you know take that with a grain of salt because i think sometimes people think okay i'm not a pastor so i don't need to apply titus in my life or i'm not a pastor so i don't need to apply uh, uh first and second timothy in my life okay but you might not be a pastor but you you might be an elder and you might not be an elder but you might be a parent in shepherding children and, you know, if you're a husband, you're shepherding, shepherding your home, you know, wife and, and kids. You know, you're, you're a shepherd capacity. So a lot of times people think like, oh, yeah, I'm not a pastor, so I, I don't need to read this book. Or I don't need to, you know, be serious in this in, 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 with Titus. Or I don't need to be serious with, you know, uh, Timothy books. Well, it, it, that's the wrong attitude to have. The attitude which say like, wow, you know what? I'm in a position of leadership, be it, you know, in a home as a husband, in a home as a father, even in a home as a mother. Leadership as to unto children and shepherding children to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. And then at the same time, you know, once a home is in order, you know, the Lord might put it on your heart or the Lord might put it on a pastor's heart. Hey, See this guy over here? Check him out. You know what? I want to use this guy. You know, ask him to be an elder. Ask him to come alongside you. Or, you know, maybe there's like a, a, a you know, in a godly home. Wow, look at this lady over here. You know, she could be maybe a Bible teacher unto women. And look at her home. You know, hey, I want to use this gal. Or in whatever ministry, in whatever capacity. A lot of times people, they got a needle in their arm, you know, and they got, you know, the, they got the cooking spoons. And they say, oh yeah, the Lord called me into this. It's like, no, 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 no. 
You need to clean up your life first. You say, oh yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh, by the way, you know, I, I, go, I like happy hour. I like to go get my alcohol. Cheap, you know, cheap alcohol. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. We're going to see these things. What's so cool about our study in these legal books is that once we have an under... We're going to be in the legal books for a long time. A very long time. I mean, you know, two-year-old kids today are going to be like 15 when we're done. No, I'm just kidding. They're like, you know, I don't know, four maybe. That two-year-old is going to be a four-year-old. Once we're done with like... Once we get into Joshua, it's good. maybe I'm, you know, exaggerating. But, you know... Judging by what we did in Genesis the Exodus, you know, it's going to be some time. But it's so cool because once we have this a firm understanding of these legal books, these legal writings, and then we get into the Kings, First and Second Kings, we get into the Samuels, we get into the Chronicles, your heart will break. Your heart will break so much. Because you're going to see these wicked kings, these wicked priests, and your heart will break. What are you doing? That's not even in the law. I'm not advocating the law. But, you know, before the cross, you're going to start to see that's not the heart of God. What are you doing? When we get into First Kings, Second Kings of Samuel, you're, you're going to see like with Eli, the high priest. It's like, what are you doing? His sons. What are you guys doing? This isn't right. And so when God speaks to little Samuel and says, you know what? I'm going to kill these people. You know, you understand why. You understand why. Because they turned something holy into a business. They turned something holy into a business. Does that ring a bell? Does that ring a bell? Look at the church today. When the church today has been turned into a business, pastors, instead of taking male, female, young, old, all these people in, getting holy water, a holy brush, and cleaning these people and cleansing these people, what do you see happen? You'll see a youth leader is like, wow, check her out. I want her. You know, or maybe they're freaks and say, wow, check this guy out. Check this little boy out. I want that. I hate even uttering it like that. I hate even saying it like that. Because I'll tell you the truth, you know, in my heart, the, the thought comes in my head and I want to kill these people. It's like, you want to do that? You want to cause harm to a, a little teenage girl? You want to cause harm to a little boy? You know what? Here, step into my office. That's my mindset. And I hate it. That's the thorn in my side. I want to kill these people. And it's like, Lord, help me, you know. I can't do that, you know. And it's so cool because it's like, that's how the Lord deals. We all have our cross to bury. Or carry, you know, or our, our cross to carry. You know, and it's so cool how the Lord works, but it's going to break your heart. Once we get into the Chronicles, the Kings, the Samuels, you're going to see these things happen. And it's like, oh my goodness, what's happening, this king? And you're going to see, you know, there was this king that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you're going to turn the page and you're going to see like Hezekiah. Like, whoa, this guy is awesome. He's bringing restoration to the land. And you're going to see like uh, um, um, Hezekiah and uh, uh, Isaiah the prophet. Like, whoa, they, they, 
These are people who are bringing restoration, godliness to the people. And you're going to love these people so much. Like You might love them now, but once we have an understanding of the law in light of who we are in Christ, you're going to love these people a million times more. Even when like nobody's standing for righteousness and you see like Jeremiah, you're going to be like, go Jeremiah. Go Jeremiah. I love this guy. And you're going to be encouraged. You know, when you feel like, you know, all like in the last days, it's like, where are the righteous? Where are the warriors? And you're going to be encouraged because it's like, wow, you know what? It's just like with Jeremiah. It's just like with, with Esther. You know, there's, where were the men in Esther's age? Gone. Where were they? Gone. Non-existent. And you see how the Lord says, okay, there's no man I can use. I'm going to use the women now. And starting with Esther, he used the woman. But Esther still had a male covering, which was Mordecai. Mordecai, a male covering. Very important because when we look at these legal books, we're going to see the importance of this covering. And I'm speaking about the covering of Jesus Christ for us as Christians. Very Remember in the tabernacle, there's no covering in the, the entirety of the tabernacle. But there's a covering in the holy place and then over the holy of holies. Very important. I'm not advocating the law. I'm not advocating the construction of the tabernacle as a new covenant believer. But what I am advocating is to say, wow, these things are symbolic. The covering that we have in Jesus Christ. The covering that we have in His Word. The safety that we have in His Word. The work that He wants to do in your life. And then through your life. A lot of times people want to skip that. They want to skip the in your life. And they want to go through my life. Because they like to think that they're cool. They like people to think, wow, look, I'm a pastor. Look at my church. I got 500 people. Look at my church. I got 200 people. Look how awesome I am. But what the people don't see is, you know, the crack, you know. Oh, by the way, this pastor's a crackhead. By this way, by the way, this pastor's a sex addict. You know, they don't like to see that. They don't like, these pastors don't like to speak like that and reveal these things. But the Lord sees. The Lord knows. And it's so cool because, you know, we're going to look at some hardcore things in the law. So buckle up. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. And if you notice, these chapters are kind of short, you know, so these are going to be like uh, short sermons, you know. There's no, uh, not a lot of verses in each chapter, so we'll see how it goes. Here we go, verse 1. Uh, now the Lord called, you know, the Lord called. Notice L-O-R-D. All caps. Whenever you see that, and you know, I've said this before, but whenever you see all caps, and you see a lot in the Old Testament, sometimes in the New Testament, but it's the covenant name of Jesus. It's the covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh. The covenant name, Jehovah. And it says, now Jehovah called. That's what, that's what the book of Levit Leviticus is in the Hebrew. And he called. That's what it says, how it starts. Jehovah called. It says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, You know, when you think about Moses, look at what we've studied thus far in the entirety of the book of Exodus. When you see Moses at the bush, 
And the Lord speaks to him. And then he continues on his way. The Lord speaks to him more. And then he's on the mountaintop all by himself. And the Lord is speaking to him. And then now the Lord is speaking to him in the tabernacle. You see how beautiful this is? When Moses was in the bush, you know, he was at the, the, the burning bush. You know, he was in a wilderness state. Where, who else was with him? Nobody. But he was shepherding. And the Lord saw him. The Lord saw him. Don't forget, you know, what we read in Hebrews about the faith of the parents of Moses. How by the faith of his mom, Jacobet. Imagine taking a baby you nurse for just a little bit and you take a baby, put him in a basket, put him in the water and you leave him there with some reeds. Imagine what kind of faith that would require to do that. That just blows me away. To take up for a mother to take a baby, not like a five-year-old. I mean, that's hard to do. But a fresh baby, put him in a basket, put him in the water, and walk away. You see how crazy this is? Crazy in a good way. I don't mean crazy disrespectfully. I mean crazy like mind-blowing type crazy. That's what I mean when I say that. It's so wild. And you see the faith of, you know, faith passed, you know, passed down by faith. Remember, read the, the uh, uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, and it's like a lineage. And then you get to chapter 12, and it's since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, don't be hindered. Don't be hindered by the cares of this world. Don't be hindered by, you know, whatever, you know, this crack pipe, let it go. This alcohol, let it go. This sex addiction, let it go. You say, I can't let it go. Well, you know what? Give it to Jesus Christ. He'll take it and burn it. Give it to Jesus Christ. You see, it's so cool. You know, there's the saying, Jesus cleans his own fish. People think, wow, you know, I got to clean up my life and then I'll come to the Lord. No, no, no. It's the other way around. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ with all your mess, all your filth, all your muck. And you know what happens? The Lord cleans you. And it's not like, you know, scuzz brush type, type of cleaning. I've done that with some guys before. You know, a couple guys that didn't want to bathe themselves. And we we're close quarters. It's like, hey, if you're not going to bathe yourself, we're going to bathe you. And so, you know, he didn't want to, he's like, okay. He didn't want to bathe himself, so we, we, we did it for him. You know, some nice Brillo pads, you know. It was a different environment back then. But he never had that problem again. First time and last time. You know, it's such a trip because, you know, it, Jesus Christ doesn't do that with us. You could come all filthy, all nasty, all mucky, and all nasty. And he doesn't come at you with, you know, like a wire brush. He doesn't clean you with a wire brush. He doesn't do that at all. It's so gentle. He is so mighty, so strong, and yet so gentle. And you fall in love with him. It's like, wow, Lord, I thought you were going to throw me in hell. You know, you take my sex, you take my drugs you take my alcohol you know i thought you were gonna do this i thought you were gonna kill me it's like no i love you i love you you believe in me abide in me and i in you 
I love you. Why would I do that to you? And then all of a sudden we start to walk with him. We learn from his word. And so, you know, you might be in the wilderness walking and all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know what? I hear this voice and it's the Lord. And he wants to speak with you. He wants to sup with you. He wants a relationship with you. It's so cool because you see Moses at different stages in his life. And we're not done with Moses. You see Moses at all these stations in life, you know, before he knew the Lord. And it's like, wow, you know, even when he was a baby, that's the faith of his mom to just put this baby in a basket, nurse, not even for a long period of time, you know, and take this baby, put him in a basket and just put him in the water, put the lid on it. And I can't imagine what that must have been like. You have your hand on your baby. And then, you know, next thing you know, the baby's down. Your hands are off your baby. Your hands are on the back. You put the lid down. Your hands are on the basket. You're in the water. And then you let go. I can't imagine what that must have been like for her. And God is good because look what he did with Moses. At a time when all the boys were being killed. Remember the command was given, kill all the boys. Kill them all, brand new baby. You also see the faith of the wet nurses too because remember, they disobeyed the uh, the Pharaoh. They disobeyed the, the order. You know, it's so cool because you get a little picture of, you know, uh, uh, God's word and, you know, man's decree. And there's going to come a time when, you know, when, you know, the government starts saying, hey, you know what, take the mark. You know, the government says, hey, you know what, you have to abort your baby. We have a one-child policy. That's what they do in China. One-child policy. It's like, wow, you know, think of the Christians in these environments. And it's coming. This The last days is going to be no joke. No joke. I mean, the Lord is getting people's attention already. But there's still mockers among us. But remember, just like he did in Egypt, he will make himself known through plagues. Just as he did with Egypt. Through plagues. And what happens the whole time you see these stations in life that Moses has, you know, in the wilderness. And then he goes back to Egypt or, you know, he's in Egypt and then in the wilderness, back to Egypt, back to the wilderness. And here he is now in the tabernacle and the Lord is speaking to him, still speaking to him. The same thing applies to you and me today in the wilderness, you know, back in the day. Or if you're, you know, I don't know who's listening to this message, but if you're a non-believer today, or maybe playing games with the Lord, or maybe yourself, you're in the wilderness right now. It's to say, hey, you know what? The Lord loves you. Come and feed from His Word. Hear His Word. See what He has to say. He loves you. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know what? I'm going to have this journey for the rest of my life with the Lord. And all these stations, you know, little checkpoints. And one day you're going to look back and be like, wow, God, you're so good to me. I don't deserve this. That's grace, my friend. That's God's grace. And so look what happens here. You know, it's like, you know, the, 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 the intimacy that Moses has with the Lord, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's so cool. It's the exact same thing with us. With Christians, people of the way, 
It's the exact same thing. The relationship with the Lord, yours and mine, gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Because God loves us. And then all of a sudden, it's like your, your whole mind starts to change. Your whole, everything about you starts to change. You know why? Because the Lord is doing a work inside of you. He's transforming you. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick inside your temple. Or, for all intents and purposes, inside your tabernacle. That's what He desires to do with you. So look what happens here in verse 2. This is what the Lord is saying uh, for Moses to say. He says, or this is instruction that He's giving to Moses. He says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord. Remember in Exodus 33 verse, verse 3. The Lord straight up told the people, look, you guys are stiff-necked people. I'm not going with you guys. Because remember, they were going to go to the land of milk and honey. The Lord is like, go ahead, Moses. You take these people and you lead them to the land of milk and honey. Because you know what? I'm not going with you. I'm not going to be with you. And then you see the intercession of Moses. Moses interceded for the people. That's why we say Moses is a type of Christ. Moses as a type of Christ, not the Christ, but a type of Christ, the intercession of Jesus Christ on, you know, for your behalf, on my behalf, unto the Father. Remember, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we have an interceder. But then at the same time, don't forget how God transferred my sin. He transferred your sin to all who believe. He takes your sin and he places it on your son. And you know what's such a trip? Jesus Christ, before he died, sin of all mankind is placed on him. My sin, your sin, is placed on him. And right before he dies, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, that's like, that's some hardcore stuff. You think, you know, you think, you know, of the people present, he's saying, well, Father, forgive the Romans, forgive the Jews, for they know not what they do. Yes, there's that aspect. But when you think in the sense of sin being placed on him, and right before he dies, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he takes his last breath. And then, boom, the big earthquake. The Roman guard was like, surely this is the Son of God. Surely this was the Son of God, he said, past tense. And there's this great earthquake. Day became night. And then all of a sudden, in the earthquake, you know, everything's shaking. And then the veil was torn in the temple. The veil was torn in the Holy of Holies. was separated, you know, the, 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 the holy place from the Holy of Holies. That veil was torn from top to bottom. Very important. That's why Moses is a type of Christ. He interceded. So the Lord was like, you remember Exodus 33, 3. I'm not going with you guys. You guys are stiff-necked. I'm not going to go with you guys. Because if I go with you guys, I'm going to kill you. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. 
And so Moses intercedes, and then the Lord says, okay, I'll go with you guys. But Moses, there's a new regulation now. And so now the third time that the law was given, remember the law was, the Ten Commandments was given three times. The first time was spoken. And the second time were the Ten Commandments on two tablets, which were destroyed with the golden calf. And then the second set of Ten Commandments was given to the people, two tablets. But now with the sprinkling, with the additive of sacrifice, blood. Remember, symbolic of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb. Blood is required. Remember, in the law, life is in the blood. So what is it in the law? Life for life. Life for life. That's why my sin, I'm dead in sin. I come to Jesus Christ. My sin is transferred from me to Jesus Christ. And he gives me life. Life for life. He died on my behalf. He died on your behalf. To all who believe, He died on their behalf. It's a free gift for everybody. All of creation, it's a free gift. But it requires faith. If I were a Calvinist, I would say, God compels you. God, God makes you be faithful. God compels you to come to Him. But I'm not a Calvinist. Remember, the Bible says in Romans 10, Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. What does the Calvinist say? God gives you faith. God compels you. God compels you. God is the one making it. He predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. That's Calvinism. That's Reformed theology. And I'm not down with that. Not just because it's like, wow, you know, you want to be mean, you're not down with that. No. Where do you find that in Scripture? It's a free gift. It's, it's Christmas time. You know, it's like, I give you a Christmas bread, nice wrapping, nice box, you know, beautiful bow on it. Say, so here, here's a gift for you. You don't, you don't have to pay me. <laughs> it's a gift. Yeah, you say, nope, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want it. But I'm giving it to you. It's free. No thanks. I don't want it. But then what if I put a gun to your head and I say, you know what? You pick this. You, you take this. You pick this up. I'm giving it to you. It's a free gift. You take it. You know, it's it's a totally different ballgame. I'm compelling you to take it. That's that's Calvinism. I, I don't want to, you know, paint God like that. That's why it bugs me. It, it, it maligns the, the character of our Lord. It's a free gift to all who believe. To all who believe. And it's so cool because what happens in the course of time, in the life of... You take somebody with the hardest heart. Somebody whose heart is hard. And then in the course of time, the Lord will humble a person. You know, it's, you know everybody, you know, babies, you know, you wipe their little behinds. You know, when they have their accidents, you know, you wipe their little behinds. And then they learn how to do their business by themselves. And then you don't have to do that anymore. But then, you know, that person gets old, you know, and it's like they might have they need help again. It's very humbling. Very humbling. You know, the Lord humbles people right before we die. The Lord humbles people. And it's so cool because it's like, wow, is, is his heart too hard today? Is her heart too hard today? It's like, okay, that's cool. You know, let's see what it's like next year. Let's see what it's like next month. Let's see what it's like tomorrow.
because someone might realize, wow, you know, I thought I could get get along my own way, but you know what? I'm a crackhead. I can't do it. I need help. Or, you know what? I lost this. You know, I lost my home. My marriage has gone asunder. You know, my kids hate me. You know, it's like maybe my parents hate me. All these things. It's like, okay, are, are you done now? That's how I was. I was very prideful, very arrogant. And finally I got to a point where it was like, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm done fighting. I don't want to do this anymore. It's surrender. That's why, like, you know, the cops pull you over. It's like, get out of the car, you know. Well, you know, guns drawn and everything. If you're speeding, if you're, you know, a brown guy in a nice car, <laughs> get out of the car. <laughs> and you have your hands up. I surrender. I give up. I surrender. That's what's so cool about hands up before the Lord. Complete and total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And He's not going to come to you and clean you up with a Brillo pad. He's not going to clean you with a wire brush. He's very gentle. And He will clean you. He desires to sup with you. He desires to sup with all who believe. And so look what happens here. He says in verse 2, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering. Translates as the sacrifice and oblation. A little side note. The sacrifice and oblation is something that, that the Antichrist will bring to an end. Just read the prophecy in Daniel 11.31. Also in Daniel chapter 9. But then in Daniel chapter 11 verse 31. Uh, verse 31 you see that the Antichrist is going to cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Me personally, I believe it's some kind of like animal rights kind of thing. Like a PETA kind of thing. You know, you're watching TV, you see the animal commercials, they show the puppies, they're all sad. Or they show the seals getting beaten and the little baby seals all sad. And it's like, wow, you know what? They, they, just, they play the sad music. You see the little puppy eyes, they're all sad. You know, a little kitten in a cage, all dirty. It's like, oh man, this is sad. And they're tugging at your heartstring, they're tugging at your emotions. It's kind of satanic too, because that's what Satan does. He tugs at your emotions. And then at the same time, it's like, wow, you know what? There's this, you know, I'm like pro-animal. I like animals. I don't like animal cruelty. But then when you see in the law, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, what they're going to do is they're going to, you know, before constructing the third temple, they have to sacrifice. And so people are going to bring their offerings. There's going to be animal sacrifice. But who is the one to say, you know what? You don't have to do that anymore. What world leader is going to emerge on the scene and say, hey, no more animal sacrifice. Very, very sensitive times. They're already sacrificing animals in Jerusalem. You know, they're already sacrificing animals there. But, you know, it's where's the red heifer? The red heifer being sacrificed before the uh, temple construction. It's going to happen. One of the rabbis in Jerusalem says, next year we're going to have our third temple. We're going to start construction on our third temple. Next year. Don't forget, there's still a... A peace plan that's in progress. It's going to resume in Je in July. Very interesting days that we're living in. I don't just pull it out of my hat and say, Hey guys, we're a last day's church. And I'm not just saying that for the heck of it. You know, you look at the events of the world. Look at the events of the global stage. Look at all this unity. A couple weeks ago they had the little this TV program, you know. And it's like, you know, the world come together. You know, with Lady Kaka. 
And, you know, they had the thing and it's like, wow, it's like they do all this globalist stuff. And then all there's this new one that Liz was showing me about. There's this new one. It's like, you know, this world uniting. And everybody's like, you know, yeah, world unite, world unite. It's like, wait a second. Yeah, you know, this is kind of prophesied. What does the Bible have to say about all this? Ultimately, you know, the, the last call of the Lord is come out of her, my people. It's kind of like Babel is being constructed again. Babel is re-emerging. It's the last days. But, you know, when the peace treaty happens, when this peace agreement happens with Israel and her neighbors, that's when the potentially, potentially, I can't say with certainty, like a high, high probability that the seven-year time clock has begun, which... Who knew it could happen in could happen in July, but it could happen, you know, as because Israel they already settled their polit- political state. It could happen in July, August, September. It could happen. So we'll see what happens. But it's kind of interesting that these rabbis, you know, in conjunction with the political aspect, these rabbis are saying, "Yeah, next year we're going to start construction on our temple." Very interesting days that we live in, especially with considering. The great falling away that the church is experiencing right now. All these things prophesied. Not to mention a little plague that's happening. You know, this coronavirus. Not to mention the locusts that are happening in Israel or not in in African countries, in Arab countries. And I just read an article. It's coming into uh, India now. And these locusts, they're destroying crops like crazy. Like that, like you can't even see the sky. Like the sky becomes nighttime. All these locusts start flying in. They land on the crop, eat everything, you know, handle business. And they just fly, keep destroying the crop. Very interesting days that we live in. And so look what happens here. Still in verse 2. It says, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. So big and small. Big and small herd is like the ox and a cow, like big animals, and then the flock is like goat and sh- goats and sheep, goats and sheep. So like smaller animals, of the herd and of the flock. And so look what happens here in verse three. If his offering is a bur- if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, so like the bigger animal, let him offer a male without blemish. Does that sound familiar? A male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will. Take your highlighter and highlight that. He shall offer it of his own free will. Absolutely zero compulsion. It's not saying, you see, God makes people offer. No. Of his own free will. At the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. So remember what's happening here. This burnt offering. It The burnt in the Hebrew translates as to ascend. Like smoke. You know you have a barbecue. You know and you put your piece of steak. A nice juicy piece of steak. Like a. Let's say you're starving. You get like a 18 ounce ribeye. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, 12 ounce ribeye. You know. 12 ounce ribeye, like beautifully marbled, you know, it's been marinating for a little bit, 
you slap it on the grill and it's like you can see the smoke rise up and it's like whoa it's like all the smoke rising up to the sky and that's why they, the burnt offering is called the ascending it's to ascend it's like the smoke it's going up before the lord it's very interesting how it translates as to ascend because what happened with Jesus Christ he also ascended into heaven you see, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. You say, hey, well, why, do you, why did you tell me the highlight of his own free will? Because this is a big deal what's happening here. Because if you remember in Romans 12, verse 1. I'll read it. Romans 12, verse 1. Let me just thumb there really quick. Okay, that's Romans 1. Little senior moment. Romans 12, verse 1. So, you know, ascending, Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. But don't forget, in accordance with 1 Corinthians 15, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Which means what? There's going to be more fruits of the resurrection. That's you and me. The rapture of the church. And the dead will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's the ascension. Read 1 Corinthians 15. But here in Romans 12 verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So many times people say, wow, you know, what can I do? I, I want to be ministry. I want to get in ministry. What do I do? What do I do? I said, okay, you're, it's, that's cool that you want to be in ministry. It's just cool. But you know, what do I do for the Lord? Do I, do I write him a check for, you know, a thousand bucks? No, 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 no. Don't do that. Well, what do I do? Do I, do I do this? Do I do that? What do I do? Okay. Don't do anything. And read Romans 12, 1. That's what you do. Present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's your service unto the Lord. And when you do that, don't forget, it's like you become the offering unto the Lord. And what happens? Remember this burnt offering? Ascension, ascending up. And Jesus Christ being the first fruits, what about you? What about me? When you present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. What is your aroma before the Lord? Is it ascending? If so, praise be unto the Lord. If not, you know, stop playing games. You know, put down the crack pipe. Put down the alcohol. Put down the sex. You know, unmarital. And it's so cool. That's how the Lord works. If we were to read the letter, if we were to go through Leviticus and read the letter of the law, it's like, okay, like a little checklist. Okay, I got to do this. Take an ox. Do this. Bum, bum, bing, do this. Da, da, da. And it's like, well, wait a second. Hold on. What is happening here in the law? Something deeper. Something deeper. To offer it of your own free will. What about when you offer self? Is it by compulsion? In accordance with the teachings of John Calvin? 
in accordance with the teachings of Reformed theology? Is it by compulsion? Or is it as it is written here in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3? He shall offer it of his own free will. It's a huge deal. Very, very huge deal. Because what's happening as a new covenant believer, you're presenting yourself to the Lord. Presenting yourself to the Lord. You know, it's so cool how this works. The law, straight up in the law, is saying, hey, you guys, it's free will. So look what happens here. Remember, this is a burnt offering. He says, uh, He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. In verse 4, remember, free will. He says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. So what we're going to see in the book of Leviticus, we're going to see a lot of laying on of hands. On the sacrifice a lot. It's very important. As new covenant believers, you know what happens in a lot of churches today where you have pastors and elders and they just lay hands on people like frivolously. And I'm not I'm not knocking them. I'm not saying they're doing it willfully in frivolity. I'm not saying that at all. But laying on of hands is a very special thing. It's not that your hand isn't a magic wand. It's a very, very special thing. Because what is happening, it's like, you know, it's... The apostles, remember the apostles would lay hands on people and then they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They would receive the Holy Spirit. It's a holy transaction. A pastor, you know, an elder lays hands on a person. And the holy transaction is, you know, in the Old Testament, it's like the Lord. I mean, you were going to see it more in Leviticus. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. It's like from the Lord to the priest and then for, to, the, to the person. Or sometimes it's straight up to the animal. It's like a transferring. You know, like what we're seeing here is like to the animal. But as New Covenant believers, it's like, say you have a pastor that is like, you know, a, 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 a crackhead, you know, and it's like, you know, they look like they're holy. They speak like they're holy, but they're a crackhead. They're an alcoholic. They're into sexual things. They're beating on their wife, beating on their kids, and they lay hands on somebody. It doesn't work. There's nothing. I mean, it's, 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 it's better to take a coffee cup and put it on your hand. Because the hand from this pastor is nothing. It's not a pastor in the Lord's eyes. It's, it might be a wolf. But the, 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 the holy recipe isn't there. It might be a wolf. It might be a hireling. It might be someone who just a trickster. Someone who likes accolades of men. But the holy recipe isn't there. But say the holy recipe is there in a pastor or an elder, you know, his very character. And then you go to the person. Say the person is a crackhead. Uh, you know, the pastor 
you know, everything's right in accordance with the word. And then, you know, he lays hands on a crackhead. You know, he lays hands on whatever. It's one thing if the crackhead loves his crack. But what if the crackhead, you know, a crackhead loves his crack and says, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll be holy. But, you know, they're, they've already planned. Yeah, but at five o'clock, my homies are coming and we're going to get higher than a kite tonight. Everything's planned. It's kind of like, you know, setting the stage for sin. Well, that also breaks the transaction. Because the, the you know, the mixture, the, the, the recipe for the pastor, pastor and the recipe for the person, it, 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 it doesn't jive with what the word says. But what if the pastor lays his hands on a crackhead and the crackhead says, you know what? Crack has been such a lie to me. I believe the lie of Satan. Crack has been deceptive to me. Alcohol, it's been a lie to me. I thought it was cool. I thought it was awesome. But I would wake up with my face, you know, in the toilet. I would wake up, you know, whatever. And I'm done with alcohol. I deny that. And you know what? I believe in Jesus Christ. And I, I need help to deny this. Well, the holy mixture inside of this heart is just right. Just right. So a pastor, you know, lay hands on this person who's received, received Jesus Christ. It's like, wow, everything is in alignment. That's where you see the flow of power. And I'm not speaking about, you know, like you see on TV, you know, where uh, Benny Hinn says, you know, power and all these people fall. No, that's that's a farce. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Healing is where healing happens. People think, oh, wow, you know, I, I don't have a leg and, you know, this guy laid hands on me and my leg grew. Well, you know, the Lord can do anything, but, you know, people think of the, the fanciful. I'm speaking about what about healing in heart? What about somebody who's dealing with depression? Hardcore depression, anxiety. Worried about the past, worried about the future. And they're immobilized. And they're just, whatever it is, maybe their heart is broken. You talk, there's, that's what's so cool about the last days. There's these people, all the harvest is plentiful. There's crazy people all over the place. And the people who need answers, they don't have answers. And it's like, man, you know, the Christians can mobilize. I'm like, you know what? God loves you. Oh, that's a farce. Somebody told me that. But you know what? If God loves me, why does he make the, these wars happen? Why did he allow the Holocaust to happen? Well, you know what? We, he didn't make robots. He didn't make robots. That's not the hand of the Lord. Well, I went to church once and they said that God preordained everything. He makes these things happen. You know what? He was wrong. That pastor that told you that was wrong. That, that hurt, you know, why was I raped? You hear these when people open up to you? It's wild what people have experienced. Yeah, I went to church before, but you know what? The pastor, tried, he took me home and tried to have sex with me. That's not a pastor, my friend. That's not a pastor, that's a wolf. That's a predator. That's not a wolf. Part of me, you know, I want to say, you know, by the way, what's his address? I want to pay him a visit. That's a wolf. You were presented with a lie, a farce. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. You see how this works? It's holy. 
the mixture has to be right. The recipe, the mixture. And remember, when I say mixture, I don't mean mixture with the world. I mean the mixture in accordance with the word of God. You know, you deny the crack, you deny the alcohol, you deny the sex, you know, non-marital. You deny all that. And it's not to say like, wow, look how holy I am. I don't do crack. I'm not a crackhead. I'm, you know, it's not nothing like that at all. It's before the Lord. It's not before. Who cares about man? It's before the Lord. And then you talk to a person. The person says, wow, you know what? I used to believe, you know, why did God allow me to get raped? And I hate him so much. Because he permitted this guy to rape me. It's like, wait a second, my friend. That's not the Lord. The Lord didn't. You know, the Lord didn't make that happen. Yeah, but this pastor told me that he did. He ordains everything to happen. Well, that pastor was wrong, my friend. I don't want to get into like deep. The it's not like, you know, that's Calvinism. You know, they, they don't know anything about that stuff. And that pastor was wrong. Straight up. This is what the Bible says. God loves you. He didn't make robots. So that predator, the person who committed this crime against you, he's in the wrong. You're a victim of his sin. It's a fallen world. And you know what? God is long-suffering. You know how your heart is broken? God's heart is broken too. He loves you. He wants to rescue you from this world. He wants to rescue you out. He wants to pick you up. He wants to clean you. He wants to hold you. He wants to walk with you and sup with you. He wants to be with you. He wants oneness with you. And you talk to these people, they're like, well, I've never heard this before. What? I thought you Christians were like crazy people. It's like, yeah, most of them are, you know. I thought you Christians were like judgmental. Yeah, most of them are. Don't get me wrong, you know, I, I can be judgmental too <laughs> when it comes to certain things. Most, I don't, I, I have an issue with false teachers. I have an issues with issues with Calvinism and predator pastors. I have issues, so I, you know, I have a little bit of that too. It's like, well, I thought you Christians were like. It's like, well, look, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Good Shepherd says. And then somebody says, "Wow, you know what? I believe. I'll let go of my crack." I'll let go of my alcohol. I'll let go of my sex. I'll let go of this. You believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Okay, let's pray. They pray, receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. You lay hands on that person. Look at that mixture that's happening there. Before the eyes of the Lord. It could just be you two. Look at that mixture that's happening there. You know how holy that is? It's so holy, like, whew, that is so holy. That's what you see in the book of Acts. You know, these people who say, oh, yeah, that was just for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. You know why they say it's not for today? Because it's not happening to them today. You know why it doesn't happen to them today? Because of the crack, because of the sex, because of the, because of carnality, the carnal nature. Oh, but you know what? I'm my surety in Christ. It's a sure thing because you know what? I'm preordained. I'm of the elect. 
Okay. Make sure you have plenty of oil for your lamp. That's what's so cool about the last days. It's going to rock these people's doctrine to the core. They're going to have to make some hardcore choices. You know, there's going to be a great falling away. It's not to take joy in that. It's terribly sad. It's to be firmly planted on the rock. So when they fall away, you can catch them as through the fire, like Brother Jude says. You can catch them as through the fire. Look, you know what? I never told you this, but remember how I, you know you said this about your doctrine? Remember how you said this? You were wrong. And now look, you're falling, you know. Here, come with me. Stand on the rock. You know how you said that all these things was okay, you know. You were wrong. It's not to take pride in that. Yeah, I'm right. You're wrong. Just say, look, you were wrong. Let's, let's look at the Bible again. You see this book that you have over here? Let's throw it in the trash because look at what's gotten you. You see this other book you have over here? Here, let me have it. Throw it in the trash. Throw it off a cliff. Let's open up the Bible and see what the Bible has to say. So this concept of laying on of hands, you see it, it starts here in Leviticus. I mean, there are other passages where, you know, Moses is praying and, you know, you see like the position of his hands and stuff. But here you see a transference. You see something happening here. It's very holy what's happening. And so look what happens here. It says in verse 4, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted, translates as approved and pleasing, on his behalf to make atonement for him. So you remember when the Lord in Exodus 33.3, when he says, I'm not going with you guys. I'm not, you guys are a stiff-necked people. I'm not going to, you go to the, the land of milk and Moses, take these people, lead them to the land of milk and honey. I'm not going to go with you guys because if I'm with you, I'm going to kill, kill everybody. And then all of a sudden Moses intercedes and then the Lord says, okay, here's the law, but you know what? There's sacrifice now. There's these additives. You need blood. Life is in the blood. You need the tra transferring of your sin. So now the tabernacle is constructed. But well, you know, we ended our study last week. The tabernacle is constructed. And now you have, you know, these offerings. Instruction for offering. And this burnt offering, in the end of verse 4 says, And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. This word atonement, it's a huge deal. Translates as cleansing. Forgiveness, pardon, and a covering. Remember, all these things in the law are a shadow of the things to come. Who is our male without blemish? Who offered himself? Who ascended into heaven? Who has been accepted on your behalf? Who makes atonement for you? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. You know, I have to say as well, you know, it's so beautiful about Him. You know, you read these passages, and it, for me, I can only speak for myself. I, I pray it's the same for you. But it makes me fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ. 
more like like if you're in love for Jesus Christ, you love him, you're like mad about him, you're crazy about him, and you love him so much. It's like you read these passages and it's like, whoa. I thought I loved you before, but now it's like a million times more. There's also a family dynamic too. And this concept of a covering. You know, parents as covering for their kids. A husband as covering for the wife. You see all these things. It's like everything flows down. You see how beautiful this is? That's why you have these dumb husbands. You know, I don't know if I can blame the husbands. But you have these crazy pastors who say, Oh yeah, you wives must submit to your husband. And so the wives hear that. They see what the Bible says. They say, yes, the wife has to submit to her husband. And so they're like robots to their husband. Slaves in their own home. You know, it's like, man, we're... Uh, that's crazy. You, I mean, you see wives like this all the time. They're like robots. Like, slave, like literal slaves are treated better. Maybe I shouldn't say slaves. Servant, you know, sir. You see, like you go to a wealthy guy's house. You see his servant staff. They're like nice. They're happy, you know. They like the owner. You know, it's like he pays them nicely. A handsome paycheck. They have room and board. They have room housing provisions. They get a car, you know, go get groceries. You know, they go to Target, buy their cleaning material, whatever. Come back to the house, clean it up. They live. It's like, it's pretty cush. You go to these these homes where it's like, you know, wife, submit to your husband. It's like, man, they're, I know literal servants that are like more full of joy than these wives. And it's such a trip. It's like, man, you dumb husband. That's why I feel like saying it sometime. Maybe I will say it sometime. You're such a dumb husband. Where do you get off, you know, being an overlord to your wife when you yourself are not submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus Christ said, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. When does Jesus Christ boss you around? When does Jesus Christ make you be a robot? When does Jesus Christ make you be at his beck and call? When does he have your, his thumb on you? How dare you do this to your wife? How dare you do this to a daughter of the Most High? Who do you think you are, O oh husband? Who in the world do you think you are? Do you think you're going to get away with this? You think you're not going to give an account for this? Especially because, you know, you have these little ones. And they see it. And they're going to be raised up to do it too. You see what you're perpetuating? You're saying, no husband, repent. Oh, but my pastor told me this. And you know, your pastor's dumb. Tell him to read the Bible. And tell him to heed the Bible. And apply it in his life. Oh, my pastor's a woman. There you go. There's the problem. Or, you know, the other way around. Sometimes you have women who want to be the head of their home. And you have the beta males. They submit to their wife. I have an issue with betas. I don't like them. They're weak. I don't mean weak in terms of like, you know, physical strength. I mean weak in terms of like zero fortitude. Zero fortitude. I don't like that. 
It's not to say like, you know, you have to be overlord and mean. It's to say, no, leave your home. But then you have these women who are, you know, uh, liberal women. Oh, they hate the patriarchy. I hate the patriarchy. Man is this, man is this. Oh, I hate man. It's like, man, all the guys I know, they hate you too, you know. It's such a trip. You have these feminists. They say, man, you know, yeah, my husband, he doesn't like to learn. So you know what? I'm going to lord over him. And you have these beta males who say, yep, I, you know what? I like having zero responsibility. You know, I, I like being, you know, having a, a mommy over me. You have these beta males. That's not the, the flow isn't right. It's the other way around. It's say, hey, get your home right. Get your home in order. So there's these coverings. As new covenant believers, there's coverings that are, you know, for, you know, it's Jesus Christ overall. But then for a wife, it's, you know, your covering is your husband. For kids, you're covering your parents. That's why Paul says, look, you know, I know you guys want to get married, but don't get married. You know, it's better to have the covering of Jesus Christ. But if you want to have the covering of this guy, go for it, you know. I mean, if, if you have sexual issues, you know, just, you know, get married and handle business, you know. But he say he offers his suggestion about marriage. I prefer that you're under one covering, the covering of Jesus Christ. And you can serve the Lord. You don't have to worry about you know, you say like you know, the Lord puts it on your heart, you know, like, you know, I gotta go be a missionary in, you know, Afghanistan. You know, I gotta go spread the gospel in Afghanistan. And you're married, and it's like, oh, you know, don't go, don't go, don't go. It's like, okay, you have responsibilities. It's not to say deny your responsibilities. And Paul even writes about that. He says, no, take care of your responsibilities. It's pleasing unto the Lord. But when you don't have those responsibilities, I'm not talking smack about it, but when you don't have those responsibilities, the Lord says, you know what? I want you to be a missionary in Afghanistan. You say, aye, aye, sir, I'm out. You don't have to vary. You don't have to check. You don't have to confer. You just say, I'm out of here. The Lord says, Afghanistan, I'm out of here. Aye, aye, sir. That's why Paul says, you know what? It's, I prefer that you don't get married. I wonder what marriage counseling is. Somebody say, hey, can you give us marriage counseling? You know, uh, a little, you know, teenagers, 19-year-old love, love bursts. You know, the love bursts come. Hey, can you give us marriage counseling? Sure, no problem. A month later, yeah, we're not going to get married. <laughs> yeah, we called it off. So I praise the Lord. It's like, wow, let's serve the Lord. You know, the Lord calls you Afghanistan, go. I love you. If somebody chops off your head, praise be to the Lord. You know, it's so cool how the Lord works. And so look what happens here. In verse 4, it said, And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. In verse 5, He shall kill the bull before the Lord. Remember, all these things, it's unto God. I have to say, when we're in these legal books, I'm going to speak with a certain level of brutality. And I don't want to scare you by saying it like that. But there, like, there's a lot of blood in Leviticus. A lot of blood. And if you hear it 
from a carnal perspective, you can be like, wow, what in the world? This is kind of weird. No, I'm speaking supernaturally. Remember, all these things are symbolic of Jesus Christ. Remember, life is in the blood. Jesus Christ, when he was scourged, I would say scourged, but then scourged. But then I heard a guy say scourged the other day. It's like, man, I thought I was wrong. So I say, I'm going to go back to saying scourged. And I forgot how I said it. I said scourged for so long. But you know, Jesus Christ was scourged. How bloody he was. You know what the ground looked like when he was whipped, when he was beaten with the crown of thorns. You know the trail of blood that followed him as he walked to the cross, carrying the cross. And all of a sudden he couldn't carry the cross and somebody came and held it for him. Somebody helped him carry the cross. Very important. Because as Christians, you know, we carry our crosses. But there are other believers, other brothers and sisters in our lives that will help you carry your cross. Remember, we carry our cross to our death. I'm not speaking of physical death. Although the Lord can put physical death, just like he told Peter, Hey, Peter, you're going to die one day, and this is how you're going to die. And Peter didn't freak out. He says, Okay, so be it, Lord. Let's do this, you know? And I don't mean to sound... He was willing. He was willing. And it's so... I'm so encouraged by these cloud of witnesses that are set before us, Old Testament and New Testament, and I pray that you are too. And it's so cool. It's like, you know, look what happens here. He shall kill the bull before the Lord. And remember, all these things, it's unto the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons. And so now you see the priests are active now. It's like, boom. Like all these, remember Moses was on the mountain? And the Lord is telling him about Aaron and his sons. And then now look what's happening. It's like, wow, now they're activated. I shouldn't say Aaron, mostly the sons. You know, Aaron kind of doesn't have a role right now. He's the high priest. You're going to see him very limited role in the book of Leviticus. And I love that. Because remember, it's when we started, you know, remember I said it leaves something wanting. Because there's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which is Jesus Christ. It says, he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabern tabernacle of meeting. There's a lot of blood here. In verse 6, And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. It's very gruesome what's happening here. Yeah, I, know, he's, he, I say gruesome in a, a carnal kind of way. Because you look at the imagery here, like, wow, this is like pretty gruesome. But remember, it's a holy transaction that is happening here in accordance to the law. There's a holy transaction. It's this animal, number verse 4, is being accepted on behalf of the giver, on behalf of the offerer, which is a free will in verse 3. It's a, it's a free will offering. It's not a force. It's not compulsion. It's being accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. It's very important to see this. 
It's all about atonement. It's not about you talk to these mockers. They say, "Wow, you're God who wants to kill all all this blood and guts in the Old Testament." It's not about the blood and the guts, even though there are blood and guts. It's not about the quote unquote the gruesome aspect. There's a transaction that's happening here. You say, oh, I don't like all the gruesome nature of this. Well, look at your life. Look at the gruesome nature of your life. You talk to a female who's had boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend. You know how used up she feels? You know how she just feels like her life is just laid waste? And you want to talk to me about Old Testament gruesomeness? Look at the gruesome nature of your lifestyle. Look at the gruesome nature. You talk to a guy, you know, who, you know, uses and abuses females. Look at the trail of destruction behind you. And you want to talk to me about the gruesome nature of the Bible? What about the gruesome nature of the trail behind you? What about the gruesome nature of the female that you're with right now? You're telling me the Bible is gruesome? No, you need to look at your life. Look at the destruction around you. Look at the hurt that you've caused around you. Look at the pain and destruction. That Look at your bubble of destruction. You remember on Sunday we talked about the holy bubble? Look at your bubble of destruction and rot and ruin. And you want to talk to me about the gruesome nature? Look at your bubble of gruesomeness. Remember, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. In verse 7, says, The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order. It's not out of order. There's no disorder or confusion. The wood is laid in order, says in verse 7, on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order. On the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice. An offering made by fire. A sweet aroma to the Lord. You see what's happening here? If you have a highlighter, take your highlighter and highlight the end of verse 9. As a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So beautiful. There's an interesting dichotomy that's happening here. Because so far we see a picture of the offerer. And then we also see a picture of the offering. Ultimately, we know that Jesus Christ is the offering. You know, he is a male without blemish. Sacrificed. Accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. He ascended into heaven, you know, exactly the same way as a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice. An offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So ultimately we know it points to Jesus Christ. But then at the same time, what about the Christian who offers himself or offers herself 
of his or her own free will as an offering unto the Lord. Just like Paul says in Romans 12, 1, what we read earlier. So there's the offerer and there's the offering. And you know what happens when I say there's a dichotomy that happens here? Sometimes it's one and the same. So I don't get it. What do you mean? I'll tell you what I mean. When you present yourself to Jesus Christ and how do I say this? A life okay, I'll give an example. But you know people there are and maybe it's you. I don't know. Whoever's listening, maybe it's you. Have you ever been so tired and exhausted of sin? And it's just like, man, why am I always repenting for this and that and this? And sometimes it's this again and that again and this again. And you're like, wow, I thought I was supposed to have victory in Christ. But where is the victory? Well, you know, don't forget that we're not in paradise yet. We're in this world. But I also don't want to gloss over victory. Sometimes life is difficult because of the fact that we haven't presented ourselves as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. We say, yes, Lord, I believe, but I also like my crack. Yes, Lord, I believe, but I also like my sex, my drugs, my alcohol, my rock and roll, whatever. I like it. I like my party lifestyle. That's what happens sometimes. But what happens when you do Romans 12.1, when you present your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, where you become the offering? And you say, Lord, I talked to this pastor I wanted to be holy before you. I tried to write him a check for a thousand bucks. He said he doesn't want my money. I tried to do that. I tried to, you know, clean the church. I tried to do this. He says he doesn't want it. But he told me to present myself as a living sacrifice to you. So, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my life. I know I'm dirty. I know I'm filthy. I know I got the crack. I know I got this. But you know what, Lord? I give them to you. I don't want them anymore. I give them to you, Lord, and here I am. Here am I. I present my life a living sacrifice unto you. You know what happens at that point? Life becomes easier. You say, what do you mean? I thought we are supposed to have tribulation. Yeah, you're still going to have tribulation. And when I say life becomes easier, I'm not speaking literally. I'm speaking metaphysically. I'm speaking supernaturally. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the one who says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where, say you have never presented your body a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Never done that before. And you believe in Jesus Christ. You love the Lord. But you also love your crack pipe. 
And you know what? Maybe you have these bullies in your life that hate you. And these people used to hate you, hate you, hate you, hate you. And it brings you to a state of depression where you feel like, man, I'm so oppressed. I just want to jump off a bridge. But I'll tell you about a different recipe. What about if you present your body a living sacrifice to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? You say, God, here I am. I know I like crack, but I give the crack to you, Lord. I don't want it anymore. I tried to write a $1,000 check. This guy didn't want it. So here am I, Lord. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The Holy Spirit, the helper. He'll help you. He'll do a work inside of your heart, a work inside of your life. And then all these oppressors, the people come, you're so stupid. You're such a dork. You want to believe in that fairy tale stuff. And you know what happens? Instead of feeling depressed and oppressed, you start to feel sorrow. But not sorrow for you. Sorrow for them. Sorrow for them. What they inflict upon you, you start to rejoice. Because you're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord says, you know, keep walking with me. And I'm going to teach you how to be a fisher of men. These accusers, these people who oppress you, tell them I love them. And you know what? They might still hate you. They might hate you even more. But you rejoice even more. That's the dichotomy that I'm talking about. You see what happens in this holy transaction? If we were reading Leviticus in accordance with the letter of the law, we'd be done already, you know? We'd be done with like three chapters. You know, you have an ox, do this, do this, and we'd be performing the letter of the law. And I don't want to advocate performing the letter of the law. I'll never advocate that. It's to say, you know what? Look at what the law points to. It points to Jesus Christ. And a relationship with Jesus Christ... Look how deep it is. Look how deep it can be. You say, I've never tasted of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what I say? Taste of Him. Taste and see that He is good. He loves you. You say, you know what? I love Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with Him. But man, what you're talking about, I don't have that. Okay. Present your body a living sacrifice. Which is your reasonable service. Forget about it. Forget about the. You know, the $1,000 check. Forget about cleaning the church. Forget about works. You know, it, the, the, for the sake of works. Uh, I don't want to, you know, come against Brother James. It's obedience. Faith and obedience working together. I say present your body a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ, which is your reasonable service. Do that. And you know what I say? Put on your seatbelt. If you do that, put on your seatbelt. Put on your seatbelt. Because you know what? It's like a rocket ship, a heavenly rocket ship. And so look at verse 10 now. Remember, a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse 10. If his offering is of the flocks, 
of the sheep or of the goats as a burnt offering. Remember, a burnt is to ascend. So remember, so the what we just read before, there was like the big animals. You know, the big animals like the uh, the ox and the cow. So now we're on like the goats and the sheep. It says, if his, if his offering is of the flocks of the sheep or of the goats as a burnt offering, he shall bring a male without blemish. It's the same exact thing. Does that sound familiar? A male without blemish. You see how, you know, it's so cool how the Lord works. Especially this burnt offering, you know, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And when you think about this ascension of Jesus Christ, don't forget about your ascension. Don't forget about yours. Which will happen one day. One beautiful, beautiful and glorious day. It will happen. This is a holy transaction. It starts of one's own free will. It's not... I have to say this too, and I don't mean to get dirty. It's not at all for the pleasure of the priest. I'll say it in New Covenant terms. And there might be a pastor listening. It's not for the pleasure of the pastor. It's not for the pleasure of the elder. It's not for the pleasure of the deacon. It's not for the pleasure of the youth leader. When people present themselves to the Lord, someone might come to you. You know, if you're in leadership, what do I do to be holy? What do I do? How do I do this? You teach them the word. You give them the word. You cleanse them metaphysically, supernaturally, and deeply spiritually with holy water that comes from the word of God, with the holy brush, a holy sponge that comes from the word of God. And you clean God's people with his word. People come to you, what do I do to be holy? And you get these dumb pastors, these predator youth leaders, Say, oh yeah, let me show you, you know, hey little boy, come with me. Hey little girl, come with me. It is never, ever, ever for the pleasure of the leader, the so-called leader. Never. Never. Because you know what happens? You're going to see these priests, carnal priests in the Old Testament. like Eli and his sons. You're going to see why God kills them. When we get there, it'll be years before we get there. But I've referenced it before. God straight up kills them. God kills the sons and the high priest. You read that, you're like, whoa, what is God doing? I thought the high priest was like an important role. It's a very important role. But it's a holy transaction. The priest is just a vessel. In this transaction. The high priest. Is just a vessel. In the transaction. The pastor. Is just a vessel. In the transaction. The elder. The deacon. The youth leader. Is just a vessel. In the holy transaction. If there's any church leaders. Listening to me right now. Don't play games with God's people. Don't play games with the Lord. And don't play games with the Lord's people. They're his flock, not yours. 
You bathe them with the Word of God. You teach them the Word of God so that they can be equipped and prepared for the days that we're living in, prepared for their lives when they go home, when they go to work, in their marriage, in everything, every aspect of their lives. That's what you do, O man of God. And if you're playing games with the Lord or you're playing games with His people, you repent and you step down. That's what you do. Or, if you continue in that, do you think you're going to get away with it? You might get away with it in the world. But you're not going to get away with it. Very important. That's why I have a big issue with pastors. Because they say, wow, look how big my church is. Look how awesome I am. You know, look, yeah, we had a youth leader that, you know, there was this sexual thing that happened in the church, but, you know, that was that not, that wasn't a big deal. It was just, it's like, what are you talking about? It wasn't a big deal. You think it's not a big deal? It's a huge deal. It's God's flock, God's people, and God's word. And you want to play games with him? It's to say, no, you need to repent. And you also need to step down. You see how this works? God straight up killed Eli and his sons. Took their lives. And you know what? There was no widespread revelation in those days. But the Lord spoke to little Samuel, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Samuel, Hannah's little boy, barren Hannah at one point, and she's praying before the Lord. Eli, he, she thought she was drunk. You know, she, she was praying before the Lord, you know, kind of like praying, moving her lips. He looks at her and says, man, this lady's drunk. Like, why you, why you been drinking? Said, why even go there? This woman is praying. And the Lord honored her prayer. And she says, okay, Lord, you give me a son. I'm gonna... And it's so cool because she made little robes for her son. Little baby robes, you know, walking around. You know, little, little boy walking around as a little priest. You see how beautiful this is? Just the faith of this beautiful, beautiful woman. Just like, you know, look what the Lord did with Moses. And you consider the faith of Jacobet, his mama. And then look at the faith of Samuel, what the Lord did with Samuel. But don't forget the faith of Mama. You see? And then, you know, the Lord wasn't the Lord wasn't speaking to Eli's sons. The Lord wasn't speaking to Eli. Which kind of begs the question what in the world was happening in the in the in the in the temple? What in the world was going on in the temple? If the Lord wasn't speaking to them? What did Eli, when he goes into the holy place, the holy of holies, what did he do? Just stand there? Sit in a chair? Take a nap? What was happening? And so because there was that disconnect with Eli, the disconnect with his sons, there was no widespread revelation of the Lord. That's what I'm talking about, the disconnect. 
What about pastoral disconnect? What about these anemic churches? It's because there's a disconnect. I don't care about a size of a church. Is to say, look at this is God's word. You take it off of these pages and you pour it into these people. God takes care of the numbers. You see how God works? What in the world was happening in the temple when Eli would do what the Eli's sons going to doing doing what we're talking about right here, what we're studying? And yet God wasn't speaking. They were just going through the motions. That's what they were doing. Going through the motions. A guy would bring his offering. Going through the motions. Okay, let's go through the motions. One son would do one thing. Another son would be talking with this guy's daughters. Having sex with his daughters. And the Lord sees it all. And little Samuel's sleeping, and he's awakened. He hears the Lord calling to him. The Lord didn't call to Eli. The Lord didn't call to his sons because of their disconnect with him. But beautiful, beautiful Samuel, little boy, no disconnect. Because of the faith of the mama. You see how beautiful this is? The same thing, the same applies today. Going through the motions. Going through the motions of church. I know pastors. I talk a lot about pastors, a lot of smack about pastors sometimes. People have told me, hey, you shouldn't talk that way about pastors. Why not? Why not? They're not better than anybody. They're held to a higher account to the Lord. But they're not better. You know, Why? I have pastors that I have great respect for. But great, the utmost respect. If I, if the Lord didn't call me in ministry, I would move. So I can go and fellowship with these people because I want to submit myself to their teaching. I want to be in their fellowships and learn from them. If I wasn't a pastor. But the Lord says, hey, you know, I, I, you know get a place, put chairs and teach the Bible. And here, you know. Get a podcast and teach the Bible. You know? Yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. But you see what happens in this holy transaction? You know, you think about Eli, what was happening in the temple? What was happening in the... What what was going on there? Nothing. That's what was happening. Where was atonement? How could the Lord speak to the people if he couldn't speak to the high priest? If the high priest couldn't come out and then speak to the priest and then the priest could speak to the people? No, they were too busy going through the motions. They were too busy having sex with the people. Going out and partying with the people. And the same thing applies today. Going through the motions. I was going to say, I know pastors. They go to a website to get a sermon, the sermon notes. They get these sermon notes. They study nothing of the Bible. They get these sermon notes, 
And that's what they do. They just sit there in a pulpit and they just read from the sermon notes. They get all fancy, you know. Some of them memorize the sermon and they get all fancy. They put their little twist on it and they do all these things. They get their little rock star boys, you know. Yeah, God loves you. They get their highlights in the hair. You know, they're just beta males. That's all they are. Same thing. Nothing new under the sun. That's all they are. But where is the power? Where is the Lord speaking and saying, Wow, you know what? God's people, this is, this is for you. Where is that? Where is the widespread revelation? That's the disconnect. Just as it was in the Old Testament. That's the disconnect. You see how beautiful this is? This, this is straight up the law. It's not to say, look how beautiful the law is. Let's go to the law. It just augments the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he does in my life, in your life, and all who believe. You see how beautiful this is? But no, you have these pastors who like to play games. They're just going through the motions. Yeah, church on Sunday, church on Wednesday, boom, 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 go through the motions. You know? And then these elders, uh, deacons, and Youth leaders having sex like crazy, like crazy, and God sees. Oh, look how big my church is. I don't care. It's not your church. Those are God's people. You need to repent and step down. And you need to get on milk again. You have defamed the name of the Lord. Repent. You see, don't play games with the Lord. Don't play games with His people. And so look what happens here in verse 11. Remember, the, the ox, we've studied the, the bigger animals, and now we're on the little smaller animals. In verse 11, He shall kill it on the north side. This is about the sheep or the goats. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. And he shall cut. He shall cut. This is to dismember and divide. Dismemberment. You know, I have to say something. This is going to sound kind of gruesome. A little gruesome. And I don't want to come off that way. Maybe I shouldn't say it. <laughs> okay, I'll say it. There is a gruesome nature to pastoral ministry. And it is dismemberment. And I'm speaking metaphysically. It is the desire. It's highly, highly spiritual. Carnal people won't understand what I'm about to say. Carnal people might call the cops. <laughs> but it, it's a dismemberment of God's people, but the carnal nature. And it's not physical at all. It's deeply, deeply spiritual. Deep, profoundly in ways I don't, I don't have the skill of language to define it. 
And it's using the Word of God. Using the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. There's a dismemberment that happens. So people come into church. They sit in the pews. The pastor goes to the pulpit. Opens up the Bible. Prays. And starts to read through the Bible. And using the Word of God, it's a dismemberment of the people. And I'm speaking highly spiritually. It's a dismemberment of carnality. That's what I take. And if I was speaking to a group of pastors, this is exactly what I would say. You have God's people come in, they sit down, they might, you know, laugh and all these things, whatever. But then you open up the word, you don't fear people, you fear the Lord. You're going to you're going to hurt feelings when you go through the word of God. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But you're going to hurt feelings when you go through the word of God. You're going to touch sensitivities. And people might say, oh, you're so evil. You hurt my feelings. You said this about this. You said you haven't gone to blows with anybody. It's just words that are coming out of your mouth, emanating from your heart, goes up through your esophagus and on your tongue and out for everybody to hear. Number one, make sure it's the word of God. Because that's what's sharper than any two-edged sword. Some people will hate you. But you know what? Rejoice that they hate you. Because you're suffering shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Some people might leave. You know what? Pray for them. Your church of 500 people might become a church of 50 people. Praise be unto the Lord. Your church of, you know, 500 people might become five people. Praise be unto the Lord. The same thing happened with Jesus Christ. Read John chapter 6 and count the number of people. 5,000 plus, give or take, you know, whatever. But it's 5,000 plus. I shouldn't say give or take. I should say, you know, give, you know. So it's 5,000 plus become hundreds. Or, yeah, 5,000 plus become hundreds. And then hundreds become 12, you know. That's what happens when the Lord gives them truth. He turns on the people. You people are following me because you just like your food in your belly. But you don't like what I say. And so people left. Then he talks to the disciples, hundreds of them. And they leave too. And he turns to 12. Or do you guys want to leave too? He said, no, we're going to stay with you. Okay. So your multitudes, your church of 5,000, a lot of pastors. If you're a pastor listening to this. And you want to retain your membership. You want to retain the numbers. Repent. Get rid of that mentality. Fear not man. People will hate you. People will stop. Rich people are going to leave. They're going to start stop tithing. They might threaten you. Okay, we're going to pull. You might have to move. You might have to change your lifestyle. You might have to move from, you know, a nice house to like a little shack. You might have to move from a, you know, a mansion into a motorhome. 
But you know what? Make your call and election sure. Fulfill your ministry. Honor the Lord. You see how he works? Honor the Lord. Fear not man. People will hate you. Who cares? People Eventually it's going to come to the point where they're going to chop your head off. You know what? Praise be unto the Lord. It's so cool what happens. So, you know, you come to the pulpit, open up your Bible, and it's like you're like a chef, you know? It's like you take your little knife, you sharpen it, and the knife is the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And you know what you're doing when I speak about, you know, dismemberment? You're taking carnality out of God's people. People might sit in the pews and they're like, man, I can't believe this guy is saying this. He's talking about my pornography. I can't believe this guy is saying this. He's talking about my crack pipe. Man, this guy is talking about my marriage. You know, man, I can't believe this guy is talking about, you know, whatever it is. And they're going to squirm like crazy. You know what you're doing? You're dismembering. Dismembering the carnal nature. And that person is going to realize, wow, this is carnality. And they're going to repent. And they're going to be less carnal next week. They'll be less carnal the following week. They'll be less carnal. And when you die, you know, the Lord is going to take your flock. And you know, they're going to go through, they're going to have a conversation with the Lord. And you, as a pastor, you, as a lowercase s shepherd, can say, here, Lord. Here is the flock that you've allowed me to shepherd. Here they are, Lord. But if you're concerned about, man, I got to appease this wealthy guy. I got to appease this wealthy lady. I can't speak about this. I can't say this. You know what you are? You're a hireling. Repent, if that's the case. But when you're before the Lord, you can say, here's your people, Lord. These are for you. Here's your bride, Lord. I poured my everything into these people. Say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Verse 12. And he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order. Remember, no disorder. On the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But, he shall wash the entrails and the legs. He shall wash the entrails and the legs. Very interesting here. Because these entrails, it's like the guts, you know, the gut. Yeah, I mean, you like go hunting and you kill an animal, you know. I'm not a hunter, you know. I don't like hunting. That's my little, uh, that's my little, if I have a little hint of liberalism, you know, I don't like hunting. Because you see these hunters, they think they're tough guys. You know, oh yeah, you know, you get all the camoed up, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna go kill a deer. Oh, you know, you're not so tough. If you take that deer and put a rifle in his, his hoofs, 
Give the give the give the deer a rifle. Give the ducks some weapons and see how tough you are. You know? That's just my mentality. That's my little hint of liberalism. Um Verse 13, but he shall wash the entrails. So the entrails like the guts, you know, like the hunters, you know, you kill an animal, you reach inside the like the the rib cage and you pull out the 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 entrails, you know, you have to drain out the blood. But it's so cool because you know what these entrails, you know what's right behind the entrails? It's the heart. It's the heart. Right there, you take the entrails out, all the guts, and you'll feel this little beating thing. Oh, it's big, it's not beating anymore. Even if you're a hunter. <laughs> he shall wash the entrails and the legs. So you know, oh pastor, if there's any pastors listening, if God's people come in. Open up your Bible, say a prayer. You open up the Bible, and it's like you're chopping up. You're a spiritual dismemberment. Going through the Bible, not using it as a hammer to the people, but you're just going through the Bible, and people will be convicted of their sin. And some may leave. Pray for them. Some will stay. Keep listening to you. And remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And their faith will grow. The mixture inside of you and the mixture inside of them, it is holy before the Lord. And these people with the crack pipe will say, you know what, this guy is right. I don't want this crack pipe. And they'll throw it in the trash. People with their pornography, you know what? This guy is right. I don't want my pornography. You know what? Lord, I give it to you. All these messed up marriages. You know, husbands who overlord over their wives. Wives, submit to me. You be a robot. Without submitting to Jesus Christ themselves. They'll say, you know what? This guy is right. Lord, forgive me. I blew it. Be my covering, Lord. So that I can be a covering to my bride and my children. And you know what you're doing? You're washing. You're chopping up. You're dismembering the carnal nature, the carnal man, the carnal woman, the carnal boy, the carnal girl, the carnal old lady, the carnal old man. You're dismembering. Carnality is being dealt with in accordance with the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you take these people and you wash the entrails and the legs. You know what that means? You get to the heart and you wash as tenderly as you can. You wash the heart. You wash their legs. You say a, a prayer in closing. Maybe shake hands. Maybe not social distancing. And you say goodbye, my friends. 
Goodbye, my friends. Go home. Do what you got to do. Go to work this week. You know, go home. And look what the people have. Look what God's people have. Carnality has been dismembered. Hearts have been washed. Legs have been washed. And the people leave. And you, oh pastor, are all alone. And praise be unto the Lord. Praise be unto the Lord. You can pray for these people. You can go to your holy mountain. Pray. And intercede. Ask for blessings upon these people. Ask the Lord to shower them. To bathe them. Keep them clean. Ask the Lord to convict them. And you can intercede for the people, O pastor. O elder. You see how holy what's happening? This is the law. This is straight up Leviticus. Like, what in the world is it? Like, we're like in verse, I don't know, 12, 13. What in the world? We just started Leviticus and look at what we're gleaning. You used to get a picture why God doesn't like it when his priests, his high priests in the Old Testament, when they play games. You get a picture why God is silent. People today, churches today, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit doesn't move like that. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Really? Where is the dismemberment of carnality? Where is the washing of entrails? Where is the washing of heart? Where is the washing of legs? Where is it? That's what I want to know. Just like Eli and his sons, what in the world was happening in the temple? Going through the motions. People would come with their animal. You know, one son would, okay, take the animal, do all these things, do in accordance with the law, in accordance with the letter of the law, going through the motions. Another son was having sex with the daughters. Eli wanted to be a friend, you know, oh yeah, my, my sons are my best friend, I don't want to be a parent. No, you need to be a parent. And you need to tell your son, correct your sons and say, hey, you guys are dumb, you guys are stupid, cut it out, you need to repent before the Lord. If you continue like this, he might kill you. He might take your life. Don't play games with the Lord. Don't play games with God's people. And you know what? As your authority, I'm not going to let you play games. You want to play games with me? I'm not a beta male. That's what he should have done. But he didn't. And the Lord took him.
and his kids. What about churches today going through the motions? Going through the motions. And you know what? What if today there is no widespread revelation just as there was in Samuel's day? Where are the Samuels? Where are the warriors? You see how the Lord works? Okay, look what happens here. Verse 13. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice. And highlight this again. An offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So, you know, as we read these passages, it's not just quote-unquote church. It's not just quote-unquote Bible study. It's much, much, much deeper. Much deeper. What's happening in a church fellowship or what should be happening in a church fellowship? What I pray is happening in the way Christian fellowship is a cleansing, a sacrifice of carnality, a cleansing. We're all in the same boat, myself included. That's why you hear me, you know, we've gone through these passages in the New Testament, you know, and you hear me mention, you know, churches in a social club. You know, I I don't want to come to church and just have a social club. Not just have a social club. I don't want to have a social club at all. I don't want to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. There's a holy transaction happening. There's going to be times when you go through the Word of God and you're going to be so convicted. You're going to be like, man, you know, this is, you know, in a church, if, if we had, you know, no social distancing, you'd be, you'd be like, you'd walk out. I've had people walk out. I've had people, you know, I'm not coming back. Why not? You know, we have this long conversation. It's not that I want people to leave. It's, I want to keep doing this dismemberment, and I will keep doing this dismemberment of the carnal nature. And the Holy Spirit will convict of sin. And then at the same time, you know, the hearer, where faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, will say, you know what, this guy, he's telling me I need to repent. I read the Bible. The Bible is telling me to repent. Lord, I repent before you. I repent before you. A husband can say, you know, Lord, forgive me, Lord, because I'm not submitting you and I'm making my wife submit to me. I'm a hypocrite. Lord, forgive me. Or a wife who wears the pants can say, Lord, forgive me because, you know, I'm, I have a beta male. Or kids disrespectful to their parents can say, Lord, forgive me because I take advantage of my parents. I pit them against each other. 
so I can go out and party and do my drugs and sex and whatever. But Lord, I repent. And look at what the Lord does. You know, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in the Holy Spirit building and building and building and building more and more and more and more. It's not a social club. It's not to say, you know, yeah, look, you look, look at my golf score. Look how many baskets I can make at basketball, you know. It's not to say, you know, like a, a tire contest, you know, like. Look at this fancy suit. Look at this fancy dress. I don't want to sing Kumbaya with anybody. I used to say, no, let's go through the word of God. Here, sit down. Have a seat. I'm going to do some dismembering. <laughs> Spiritually speaking. Addressing carnality. And there's also going to be some washing. Entrails, the heart and the legs. We're done with the service. I say, okay, goodbye. Go on your merry way. I love you. You know, go on your merry way. Live your life. Honor the Lord. We reconvene on a Wednesday. Same exact thing. Rinse, repeat for the rest of my life. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, do likewise. Do likewise. Say, who are you to tell me what to do? I say, follow me as I follow Christ. Do this for God. Do this for God's people. Clean his flock. Don't let his flock become defiled by the world. Teach them. Bathe them. If you're playing games with them and playing games with the Lord, repent and step down. <laughs> so holy. I can't describe how holy it is. And so verse 14. If the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds. So what's so cool about this Old Testament is like, wow, there's provisions for rich people, middle class and poor people. The rich people, they bring their the big animals, the ox and the cow. That would be a sacrifice unto the Lord. Rich people. The middle class would be bring like a sheep or a goat. But then the poor people, they, they just bring birds. Just bring birds. Remember, these sacrifices are of the of one's own free will. Nothing's imposed. In the Old Testament, nothing is imposed. In the New Testament, nothing is imposed. It's our own free will. You say, wait a second, I thought Jesus Christ is the offering. Yes. He's the offering, a burnt offering. And you know what? He ascended into heaven. But Christians will ascend into heaven as well. Where is your burnt offering? You say, what do you mean, where is my burnt offering? I say, present your body a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ, which is your reasonable service. And so the, for the poor people, look what happens here in verse 14. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. So poor people in the fellowship, poor people in, in, 
in the congregation of Israel and poor people in a church fellowship. It's so cool because in a church parking lot, you might see like Mercedes, a Civic, or you might see a bicycle. You know, you might see like, you know, a, a, a BMW, a little Corolla, and a bus pass, you know, or somebody who walks to church. You see like, wow, you know, that's a cool car. That's, a, you know, a nice uh, Toyota it's a cool bike. You know, it's not about that. Who cares? It's like, you look at a parking lot, you see, when you go to a parking lot, I've been to churches in nice parts of town, you know, not in other parts of regions of the U.S. and see a lot of fancy cars in the parking lot. I'm not knocking that. But sometimes, you know, you go inside a church and you see, okay, the poor people are over here, the rich people are over there, or maybe the poor people have their own church, and, you know, the rich people have their own church on the other side of the tracks. But remember this, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care how much money you have in your bank account. He could care less. He doesn't care how little you have in your bank account. He wants you. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your car keys. He doesn't want your bank account. He wants you. He wants your heart. And you know what? When you give him your heart, you might be like Barnabas. Where you say, you know what, I don't need, you know, this. I don't need that. I don't need all this. So you know what, I'm going to give it to you, Lord. And it's not a guilt trip. You see a lot of people guilt trip these days. Oh, I don't need all this. I don't need this. Oh, you know, they're just saying that because they've never had it. It's jealousy. Jealousy and envy. It's a bad spirit. It's an evil spirit. They're just saying it because they've never had it. They say, who cares? You come to church with a bus pass? I don't care. When you walk to church? I don't care. We'll get a church bus, you know? Go around and pick up people. You come to church in a nice Maybach? That's nice. That's cool. You're going to, you know, sit over here with everybody else. You're not going to get like a nice fancy throne. You're not going to sit here next to me. I mean, you can if you want. But so can this person with the bus pass. You're going to sit right next to this person over here. God is no respecter of persons. So the poor people, they can just bring birds. They don't have to. A poor person can't afford an ox. A poor person can't afford the, a sheep. But they can get a pigeon. They can get a turtle dove. And the Lord makes provision for them too. Notice here. In verse 15, the priest, the priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar. The crop is like, you know, the, the breast of the bird, and he's like right underneath their head, they have this big, big uh, like this puffy part. You know, and right behind that, what do you have? The heart. The heart. And he's saying, He shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar. You know what's interesting about this bird? About the offering for poor people? There's no washing involved. No washing, like like with the 
herd and the flock sacrifice, like with the ox, the cow, the sheep, and the, the goats. There's no washing involved. Remember, it's like, wow, what, 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 what happened with the offering or with the washing? Well, it's very interesting because when you read Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the Lord makes mention of the church in Smyrna. And all these churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you know, all these churches, the church in Laodicea, the church in uh, Pergamum, the Lord says, I know your works. I know you do this. You guys are awesome in this, but this I have against you. You need to repent. This church, you need to repent or else I will remove your lampstand. You need to repent. And I will. if you repent, I will not remove your name out of the book of life. But to the church in Smyrna, there's no repentance. You know what's so cool about the church in Smyrna? They're poor. They're a poor church. That's what's so cool. You know, in my life, I've had little and I've had plenty. And I tell you the truth, it's much better to have little. <laughs> life is a lot easier when you have little. You say like, oh man, I can't believe it. It's complicated when you have, you know, when the Lord blesses you with certain means. It's complicated. I mean, doing taxes, you can't file a 1040 EZ. You can't, it's, things are complicated. It's so cool, you know, how the Lord works. Because you have all these stations in life where the Lord teaches. And they say, okay, you know what, it's. Who knows what's going to happen? But the Lord has all these stations in life. You might, you know, offer a turtle dove. Or you might offer a goat one day. Or you might offer an ox one day. And I'm not speaking in accordance with the law. I'm just speaking about, you know, no matter your station in life. Rich, poor, middle class, it doesn't matter. Present your body a living sacrifice to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the Lord can use you like a Barnabas. The Lord can use you like a Philip. The Lord can use you like a Hannah, like a Ruth, like a, a Liddy, which we're going to get to eventually. It's so cool how the Lord works. So for these birds, there's no washing involved. And then we read Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the church in Smyrna, there's no repentance. All these churches where the Lord is saying, repent, 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 repent. You get to the church in Smyrna, Smyrna and the Lord is saying, there's no repentance there. Because they're poor. They're poor. In James chapter 2, verse 5, Brother James writes to us how the poor are rich in faith. Have you ever been to the third world? Where you talk to a, you know, you don't have to go to the third world. You know, if you ever talk to a poor person in the church, the faith that they have, it's like you could cut it with a knife. You could cut the air with a knife. It's palpable. Or you go to like the third world into a poor area and you go to a church there. It's like, whoa, this is like, like you can feel it in the air. It's like you can like... You get like, you know that that trust game where you fall back and supposedly people are going to catch you? It was easy, but when you're kind of chubby, you, people can't count on people to catch you. So you fall back. It's like that. You could fall back and it's like their faith is so palpable. It's like it's gonna, it'll hold you. That's how palpable it is. Brother James writes of them. How they're, you know, the poor are rich in faith. 
and for the poor and the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2 verse 8. There's no repentance. There's no call to repent. And just like here in the law in, the law in Leviticus, there's no washing involved. It speaks beautifully about the poor. So look what it says here in verse 17. In closing, then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. Highlight this again. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. You see, this is holiness in accordance to the law. In accordance to the law. For us today, in accordance with the new covenant, there's still a sacrifice. There's still a sacrifice. There's two sacrifices. Say, what do you mean? Two sacrifices. Well, there's a sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Spotless, the male without blemish, who ascended as a burnt offering. But then there's still another sacrifice that follows. You know what it is? It's you. It is you, beloved listener. It is you. It's to present your body a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And say, Lord, here am I. You see how this works? All these things that are written in the law are a shadow of the things to come. You know, if we follow the letter of the law... We'd practically be done with the book of Leviticus. Reading, you know, like instruction man. Okay, do this, jot, 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 that. Got to do this, 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 ding, ding, ding. It's like a little checklist. That's why people are swayed to go back to the law. Satan whispers in their ear. You see, if you want to be right before the Lord, you got to do this. You got to do the animal sacrifice. You got, And it doesn't end there. You know what? As new covenant believers know, it's to say, look, Look at how this points to Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. No period. A little comma. Also, the sacrifice of self. As you, as I, as we carry our crosses to the death. The death of self. And alive in Christ. You see how this works? How beautiful this is? So we're going to end our study here. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in verse 2. Love you guys. God bless you guys.